Well, welcome to Front Range. My name is Ernest Smith. I'm the lead pastor, and we're so grateful you guys are with us today. Whether you're joining us in person or whether you're joining us online, we're grateful to have you. And our hope and prayer is that this has become a home for you, a place where you can build community, discover your purpose, and grow in your faith in Jesus. And one of the ways that we help you, uh, we help facilitate that uh, in building community and discovering your purpose and growing your faith is what we call Next Step with Front Range, which is happening today. Uh, so if you've never been to it, man, we want to encourage you to come. We'll have food, uh, free childcare. There's no good football games on. Uh, so uh, we'd love for you to, uh, to come and be a part and hear about what, what God is doing in our church and uh, how to help you live out those three things uh, and build community and discover um, maybe what God has for you here in this place. Uh, man, I love the announcement that Pastor Johnny gave about the building. I'm so excited uh, about what God's going to do in the future home that we're going to have here. But it made me think about this, uh, this church uh, back in Charleston, where I'm from. Uh, the church was going through some renovations, and uh, some of the, the, the church members, they were like, hey, we want to we help like, lower the cost of, of, of the remodel and everything. So they went in one night, uh, and they started knocking down walls, doing some, you know, some demolition. Uh, unfortunately, they knocked down a load-bearing wall in the entire church collapse on top of them. Uh, so don't do that when we're building something. Uh, that imagery of if you remove just one thing, can, the whole thing can come crashing down is kind of what we're doing with this series, uh, what we're calling Losing My Religion. We're talking about this topic of deconstruction. Some of you, you've never heard of that, that phrase before. Others of you, uh, you've walked through deconstruction, you don't even know it. Others of you are walking through it right now. Uh, let me give you the, the most popular definition of deconstruction. I believe this is an incomplete definition, uh, but it's the most popular one right now. It's this the process of questioning, doubting, and ultimately rejecting aspects of Christian faith. So it's this process of questioning, doubting, and rejecting uh, aspects of Christian faith. So it's somebody that looks in the Bible and says, well, the Bible says that there is men and women, and I don't identify that way, so I'm going to kind of push aside uh, the rest of it. Or uh, maybe you were uh, at a church or somebody, some church leader told you that women can't be in leadership. He thought, man, I don't want to be a part of a sexist faith like that. Or maybe you look at the Bible and you go, man, that thing is old. It's not relevant. Uh, maybe there's parts of it I don't agree with, so we just kind of cast it aside. It's this process of questioning and then doubting and then rejecting much of our Christian faith. Let me give you a def different definition, one that we're going to be using for this series, one that I believe is a little bit more complete and, uh, and helps all of us understand what real deconstruction, what it actually is. It's the process of critically reevaluating and remodeling your faith. So real deconstruction, true healthy deconstruction is this process of reevaluating and remodeling your faith. Now deconstruction has been happening forever. I love this passage in Philippians chapter 2. It says this, Paul, Paul's writing to the church in Philippi and they're wrestling with some different topics. And he says, therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. I love that phrase, to continue to work out your salvation in fear and trembling. Like, like salvation is actually a process. Like it doesn't just happen by saying a little prayer or, or somebody gave an altar call one time and you came forward or something like that. Like that starts the process. But what Paul's saying here is that salvation is this, this process that you have to work out with fear and trembling. Like it's this important. 
That it can't just be I go to church every once in a while or I believe that Jesus is this. Like you actually have to work out your faith with fear and trembling. It's the reevaluating, the remodeling of your faith. A deconstruction has been happening since humans were created. I mean, you look throughout scripture and there's a lot of biblical characters that walk through a deconstruction, a healthy deconstruction process. You can look at a guy like Job. Uh, Job lost everything. He lost his kids, uh, his health, his wealth. Everything was taken away from him, which messed him up in his faith. Because the belief system back then, especially Job's, was if you're a righteous person, if you're a good person, then God only does good to you. Nothing bad can happen to you. Now all this bad stuff's happening and he's like, God, do you see me? God, do you not say that I'm righteous? Like I have not tried to live for you? Like God, what are you doing here? God eventually restores everything. He shows up and, and Job's faith is strengthened because he walks through this reevaluating, remodeling process of faith. You look at a person like Sarah. Sarah's, born, uh, Sarah's married to Abraham and uh, she's told seven times that you're gonna have kids. She's promised seven times by God that she's going to have kids. Now, the seven times she's promised it, she laughs out loud. The reason is because she's 90 years old at that point. How many of you ladies want to have a baby at 90 years old? Yeah, nobody, right? And she's like, I'm, this is crazy. Like, you've told me six times. Now, the seventh time I'm 90 and you're promising me this, that's nuts. She literally laughs out loud. God ends up coming through. He does a miracle in her life. But her, her faith, she has to go through this reevaluating, remodeling of her faith. Look at a guy like John the Baptist. He's the forerunner to Jesus. Uh, he, he's baptizing people before Jesus really comes onto the scene. He actually baptized Jesus. And he says, hey, look, it's the son of God. Like he's come to take away the sins of the world. I mean, imagine being that person. And then John the Baptist, just a little while later, we find him in prison going, Jesus, are you really him? Are you really the son of God? He's going through this process of reevaluating and remodeling his faith. We not only see it in the Bible, we see it in, in the fathers of the faith. Probably the most prominent is Martin Luther. Martin Luther looks at the church of his time, and it's primarily the Catholic church. Um, and there was a lot of bad things that were going on in the Catholic church at that time. He looks at it, he's like, man, this isn't the church of the Bible. This isn't what we're supposed to be doing. So he creates this movement, the Protestant Reformation, which creates the separation between Catholicism and, and Protestantism. And, and most of the churches that you've probably been a part of have been a Protestant church, all because one man decided to reevaluate and remodel his faith. Some of you guys have done that. We've walked through uh, uh, deconstruction with a lot of people in our church. Uh, for some of you, maybe you've walked through a tragedy. You've lost a child. Maybe you walked through a divorce. Maybe some health issue and... You were like, man, does God see me? Does God care about me? Is, can God actually heal me? And you've walked through this process. We've walked with you through this reevaluating and remodeling your faith. Maybe some of you, you have kids and you thought you did everything possible to help your kids love God and love the church. And now they've gone their own path. They've de deconstructed their own faith. And you're like, man, what do we do wrong? Like, what could we have done different? What could we have done that would have helped them? And you've, you've, we've kind of walked through with some of you through this deconstruction, this reevaluating and remodeling your own faith. I mean, for some of us, we've lost a friend to suicide. And when you, anytime you lose a friend to suicide, you look at it and you go, man, could God have stopped that? And if God could have, why didn't he? It makes you process. It makes you question. It's this reevaluation, this remodeling of your faith. And I believe this. I believe that if deconstruction is done in a healthy way, it, it is really, really good. 
It's actually something that all of us have to walk through in some form or fashion when it's done in a healthy way. I think about my own, my own spiritual journey. When I came to Christ, um, I had brought in a lot of beliefs into my faith. Like a lot of things that, that either I had been taught or I just, I, I looked at the Bible. I'm like, I mean, is this really God's word? Like, how could this be God's word? This thing is so old. How could it be relevant to us? And so I brought that in. I looked at things like sin and, and I'm like, well, of course, murder would be a sin, but these things can't be a sin. But people in the church are telling me that these things are sin or, or my idea of like God and who he was because of my own father and my own issues there. Like maybe God's not like this. And so I brought all these beliefs, even like small beliefs. Like, I didn't go to church growing up, but, but somebody, somebody in my life taught me that God only helps those who what? Help themselves. That was a belief that was, that was a part of me. And so when I came to faith, I'm like, well, if God only helps those who help themselves, then I'm a part of the salvation process. Because God can't help me unless I help myself in that process. And if you believe that you are a part of the salvation process, then when you sin and you begin to wonder, then can you lose your salvation? And you're always worried about the sin that's in your life because you think that God's going to reject you. God's going to push you away, that, that you're not going to be saved at some point because of this sin in my life. All because you believe this simple thing that's not biblical of God only helps those who help themselves. You see, this deconstruction, this reevaluating, this remodeling of your faith, it's a really, really positive thing when it's done in a healthy way. So how do we do it? I mean, how do we deconstruct in a healthy way? Well, before we talk about the how... Let's talk about the why. Why do people deconstruct their faith? Why do people start this process? Let me give you five reasons. There's probably a lot of reasons. Let me give you the five most prevalent reasons people start. And some of you, you're going to find yourself in one of these five. Probably all of us. Uh, if you can look back and go, man, I, I remodeled and reevaluated my faith there. It was probably because of one of these five things. And some of you, you're right in the midst of it. And like some of you, you're, you're not even sure why you're here at church today. Like somebody invited you or maybe you're listening to this on a podcast and, and somebody loved you enough to invite you or to send that to you and you're wondering, why am I listening to this thing? You're going to find yourself in one of these five things. So five reasons that you start the deconstruction process. Number one, it's because of unbiblical teaching. Because of unbiblical teaching. At some point in your life, and all of us have been there, we have, we have been taught something that whether it's from somebody at church, whether it's from somebody that, that was a Christian or said they were a Christian or as our parents, and so we just adopted that to Christianity or it's some American belief, and we think that that, because it's American, it's also Christian. We have been taught unbiblical things. Unbiblical things about leadership, about the home, about race, about gender, about God, about who you are. We've been taught unbiblical things. And when you begin to believe unbiblical things, you begin to question all your beliefs. And when you begin to question all your beliefs, you begin to push most of your beliefs or many of your beliefs to the side. And the problem with the deconstruction that, that we have today, this popular fad, this cool thing, thing that has its own hashtag, you know, like the thing that, that, that people do today, this, this unhealthy version of deconstruction, it allows for unbiblical teaching to have the last word. Meaning that somebody goes, well, I was taught this, or this church told me this, or whatever, and it's not biblical, and we think, well, because that is true about Christianity, and I haven't actually done the research myself, then, man, I don't want to be any part of that. I don't want to be a part of a church like that. I don't want to be a part of a religion like that. I don't want to be near a God like that. I was just talking to a guy right after this service, and he's like, man, last week I was talking, and he named three different types of people, and they all said, man, I don't want to be a part of church at all, because, of the, because they believe these things. And the things that he told me aren't in Scripture. So at some point, these people have been taught, all of us have been taught unbiblical things. So what's the solution? 
for unbiblical things, it's going to shock you. Unbiblical teaching can be replaced with biblical teaching. I know, surprising. This is what Jesus does in Sermon on the Mount. Sermon on the Mount is probably the, the most, his most famous sermon. It's Matthew chapter 5 through 7. If you haven't read it, go read it. It'll flip your world upside down. And Jesus, on the sermon of the, in the Sermon on the Mount, he says multiple times, you have heard it said. Then he repeats something, whatever they, they believe. And he says, but I say to you. So you have heard it said that God only helps those who help themselves. He doesn't say that, but if he was in this tech context right now, he might say, you have heard it said that God only helps those who help themselves. But I say to you, it is by grace. It is by his grace, not because of your works. Ephesians 2.10. And so he's replacing this unbiblical teaching with biblical teaching in the sermon, in the sermon. And so de- Jesus deconstructs unbiblical teaching to reconstruct biblical teaching. That's the first reason, unbiblical teaching. A second reason people start a deconstruction process is social pressure, social pressure. Some of you might, come on, Ernest. Like really, like people will, will basically get rid of their faith because socially there's pressure there, 100%. I mean, think about it. There's influence to be had, platforms to be built, books, blogs, podcasts to be created, all centered around this idea of deconstruction. I was talking to another guy after last service. He's like, hey, have you ever heard of this podcast? I'm like, no. He's like, man, there's millions of followers on it now. And they got all of those followers after they did a, a, whole, a whole series on the negative type of deconstruction. It's, there's a lot of money to be made by somebody going, I don't believe this about the church anymore. It's terrible. I used to be like that. Now I've been set free. And people are like, what? Wow. There's a lot of platform to be. I mean, I, I mean honestly, there's clout in distancing oneself. There's clout in our culture right now and distancing oneself from outdated views of sex and gender or an obscure book uh, with a talking snake and a swallowing whale. Right or like offensive uh, beliefs, like wrath and hell. Like the, it, there's cloud and distancing yourself from that. Like I don't believe that. Our society doesn't believe it, and and people don't. T- Man, I don't. I don't. I don't want any part of that. So there's a social pressure. Like Christians used to be the cool kids. You're not the cool kid anymore. Like and it is hard to sit awkwardly alone at the lunch table. That's hard. That's where we find ourselves. You see, social pressure used to primarily be in urban centers. But because of technology and social media, that social pressure has moved from the urban center to the suburban home where we all face it. We all face it. So what's the cure for social pressure? The cure is to crucify your image. Crucify your image. To put to death the desire for influence and prestige. To say, like, worry, like I'm worried about what others are going to think about me. You can't be. Like, I'm worried about being canceled. You can't be. Like, you've got to put to death this desire for the, 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 the other people to like me and to care about me and all of that. Like, our desire for love and affirmation, that is not wrong. But when we desire those things, love and affirmation, more from fickle people than from a faithful God, then we end up in a really unhealthy spot. I'm going to say that again because there's some of us that are in here, maybe some of us that are, are listening or watching online, that, and this is kind of where we are. Longing for love and affirmation is not wrong. It's when we long for love and affirmation more from fickle people than a faithful God, we find ourselves in a really, really unhealthy place. And so what's the cure for social pressures? To crucify your image. 
So unbiblical teaching, social pressure was a third. Third is painful experiences. Painful experiences lead to people deconstructing their faith. I mean, look at John the Baptist. I just talked about him. I mean, at one point, man, he, like he's done everything. Like there's not a person in here that sacrificed more than John the Baptist. I mean, this guy did everything for God. And now he's in jail because the leaders of that time felt threatened by him because he had all these, these followers. So they throw him in jail. They're about to kill him. And he's going, Jesus, please tell me you're, you're like the son of God. Like that everything that I've believed up until this point is real. Please tell me this. Like he's walking through this reevaluation and remodeling of his faith because of a painful experience because he's in prison about to die. Some of you, you're, you've been through some painful experiences. You've walked through some things in life that, honestly, like God never designed for us to walk through. And that pain is real. I don't know what you've been through. I know that this is a big one. This is a big reason why people start going, is God really good? I mean, if God was good, then why didn't he, if God is so good, then why, if he's so faithful, why didn't he? And so we walk through this deconstruction process because of this painful experience. And I want you to know your pain is very real. But so is your God. So is your God. And the solution to a painful experience is leaning into, not running away from, the God of peace and comfort. Number four, the fourth reason why people start the deconstruction process is a desire to sin. A desire to sin. I know a lot of people, unfortunately, that they act like they're asking the big questions. They act like they're asking these huge philosophical and theological questions about God and our existence and all of that. But really what they're trying to do is justify their sin. They're cheating on their spouse. They're addicted to something. They don't want to get rid of it. Or they have some other sin in their life. And it's the old saying, what the heart wants, the mind justifies. So because I want this sin, because I want this pleasure, I've got to justify it some way. And so it seems, you know, for us, it seems like, man, we're doing the right thing, the virtuous thing by saying, it's not me, it's God. I didn't do anything wrong here. God did something wrong here. And we get our focus off of what's really ruining our lives. And that's not our faith. That's our sin. The solution to sin is not deconstruction, but confession and repentance. Confession and repentance. Deconstruction actually supplements the sin that is killing you. An unhealthy deconstruction process, it supplements the sin that is killing you rather than healing it. So number four is the desire to sin. The fifth reason that people walk through the deconstruction process is church hurt. This is the largest reason, in my opinion at least. Our staff were talking about it this week, and, and out of the conversations I have with people who are walking through reevaluating and remodeling their faith, by far the majority... I don't want to put a percentage on it, but by far the majority of people, it's because of church hurt. And we've all had it. Right, you've been hurt by the church. I've been hurt by the church. I've had leaders in the church do things to me, say things to me, reject me, walk away from me. I've had, I've had people in the church make false accusations against me. I had one guy, not here at this church, thank God, but at my, our previous church, he walked up to one of our prayer team members. He said, I need you to pray for me because I'm thinking about and I'm having thoughts of killing Ernest. I'm like, well, what did you say to them? Did you, like, pray for success? Like, what's your prayer in that moment? Like, that's awkward. And the reason why he wanted to kill me this is no lie. The reason why he wanted to kill me, and they had to have people surround me for months because of this guy, is because I changed the name of a ministry. Something so small. The most hurtful words, the most hurtful emails, 
Facebook messages by far to me are from Christians. Like I rarely, I don't, I, I, see, I don't know if I can ever tell you a time where a non-Christian like said super hurtful words to me or like sent me this nasty email. By far the majority of people who have hurt me are people in the church. And so as I wrestle with that, I'm at, and how do I process this? And I, I kind of have two thoughts. One, if you've been hurt by the church, I'm sorry. And that should never happen. It should never happen. God's people should never hurt other people, ever. That's one thought. The other thought is, it's always going to happen. Why? Because we talked about this last week. Like, we want to be a hospital for broken people. And hurting people hurt people. You ever notice that? Like, if you've ever been hurt by somebody, I'll guarantee you it's because they have a hurt in their own life. And if you don't resolve it, if you don't heal it, guess what? You're going to hurt somebody else. So hurting people hurt people, and the church should be a place where hurting people can come. And if that's the case, and we're all hurting and broken and desperate, and if that's the case, we're going to hurt each other. So it's hard. It's hard. Like, how, how, do I, how do I balance those two? Like, that's a tension that I've got to figure out how to manage. So how do I manage it? Well, you walk through a healthy deconstruction process. When you walk through a healthy deconstruction process, then you find answers, you find um, a, a greater foundation, you find greater faith, you find greater love for people, all of that when it's done in a healthy way. So how do we deconstruct in a healthy way? I mean, how do you critically reevaluate and remodel your faith? I love this, this, uh, this quote. It says this, faith is too complicated to go unquestioned. Do you agree with me on that one? Faith is way too complicated for you to just be like, yep, I believe it. God said it, I believe it. Like, oh, hold on. I have never seen a fish swallow a man. Like, I need to, like, question this thing and figure this thing out. A snake has never talked to me. Never gotten that close either, but has never talked to me. I need to wrestle with this thing, right? It's too, it's too complicated to go in question, but it's too important to be absent in your life. While anyone can tear something down, it takes skill to build something up. So how do we build something up? Well, next week we're going to look at very practical steps on how to reconstruct your faith on how to reconstruct what maybe has been torn down or you're going you're gonna to process through in later years or whatever the case may be. But today, I want to give you four tips for the, the, the remodeling process, four tips for the, the, the deconstruction process. If you're going to remodel your faith, you need to have certain tips, right? Like if you were going to remodel a, your house or a home in your house, like you would need to know certain tips, like about a year ago, a little over a year ago, I was remodeling my daughter's house and uh, my daughter's room. She doesn't have her own house. That would be amazing. <laughs> that would help me out financially if she did. But I was remodeling a room in, her, in our house. And, uh, and so I, I'm, not a, I'm not a guy who does a lot of construction. Uh, I look at something, I'm like, I might be able to do that. And I go for it. Um, so I don't have a whole lot of tips. Uh, and so I, uh, we ended up uh, a few months later after I remodeled that room, uh, we sold the house to a, a couple that actually attends our church. And I'm not sure why after I tell you the rest of the story. Uh, so they invited us over after, uh, after we sold it to them. They did some things to the house. They're like, hey, come over and see the house. And we're like, that's awesome. So I walk into the house and I look up and the whole ceiling's like missing. And I was like, uh-oh. I was like, man, what, what happened? He's like, yeah, somebody was remodeling, you know, your daughter's room. And, and they, they, took a, they took a nail and they, they accidentally drove it into one of the pipes behind the wall. I was like, oh, I can't believe somebody would do that. <laughs> That's crazy. <laughs> no, I felt so bad. I'm like, oh, my gosh. Like, who knew something so small could create such great damage? 
right? Well, that's true for our faith too. So let me give you some tips on how to deconstruct. I, I already admitted I'm not a construction guy, okay? Some of you are like, yeah, you should have known that one, bro. I know, okay? Four tips to remodel your faith. Number one, remember your foundation and the essentials. Remember your foundation and the essentials. What are the essentials? The essentials are things that are paramount. The, the things that you have to believe about God, about you, about salvation in Christ. These are things that, like, if you don't believe this, there's no way to salvation. Like, if you, if you believe anything that's off here, then there's no way you can have real relationship with God here. You can't have real salvation here. Now, here's what I'll say about the essentials. There's far fewer essentials than all the other beliefs. Like, in Christianity, man, there's a lot of beliefs. And whatever church that, that maybe you came from and you've been a part of, you might have had a whole lot of other beliefs. I was talking with a guy after last service, and he was like, man, I was a part of such and such faith. And, man, that, that part where you were talking about the essentials, that's hard because everything was an essential for us. But that is not true for Scripture. Not everything in Scripture is an essential to your salvation. So what are those things? Well, if you want to go to our website, frontrange.org, uh, underneath our beliefs, we have what we would say are the essentials. That's taken from the Apostles' Creed, the Nicene Creed, what churches for hundreds of years, if they get down to the root of what is essential, we all agree or are supposed to agree on these things. It's about God, Trinity, Holy Spirit, Jesus, humanity, salvation, the disciplines of the faith. There's just certain core things. Not everything we believe is essential. But the problem is, as followers of Christ, we want to argue about everything we believe. Or we think we have to believe what everybody else in the Christian faith believes, rather than sticking to the essentials. We can wrestle with everything else. It's kind of like in my household, we have certain values. Right? We have some values that are more important than other values. Like respect. I want my kids to respect everybody. I want my kids to respect their mama, to respect me, to respect each other, to respect their neighbors, to respect their teachers. Like I want them to respect everybody. However, if they disrespect somebody, they're not getting kicked out of our house. That's not an essential value to our family. Do I want them to do that? A hundred percent. Is that essential to being a Smith? No. Confession, accountability, forgiveness, those things are essential. Those things for our household have to happen. They have to be in play. But respect, even though I really, really want them to respect everybody, it's not going to get you kicked out of the house. And so the same thing in Christianity. There's some things that, there's a lot of things that are important. There's some things that are most important. Those are the essentials. Do you know what those are? Are you grounded in those things? If not, go to our website. Read through those. We've, kind of, we've given you scripture to help you walk through it. We'd love to set up a meeting with one of our pastors to help you walk through whatever you need. But those things are essential to faith. Do you know what those are? Make sure if you're going to walk through a deconstruction process that you're, you're, you're sold, you, you remember, you're grounded in your essentials. Number two, allow for gray in your theology. Allow for gray in your theology. Some of you are like, what? No. We'll never allow gray in my theology. I'm, I'm a black and white type person. This is me. Like the hardest thing for me to do when I started walking through deconstruction and remodeling and reevaluating my faith was to allow for some gray. Like to me, early on, there was no gray. Everything was black and white. Like can you be a Christian and drink? Well, man, the parts I'm from, from the South, there were many years, no. 
You could not. And so I had to ask that question. Can you, what, what, does, what does scripture say about this? Can you, be a, can you be a Christian and vote Democrat? Can you be a Christian and vote Republican? Maybe more importantly, can you be a Christian and root for the chiefs? Like, I mean, there's some gray, <laughs> there's some gray in our theology, right? That we have to be okay with. Not everything is a black or white issue. Not everything is that way. There's a few. Well, we got to stick to those things. We can't be moved in those things. But then there are other things that, man, there's going to be some gray. I don't know. I could be wrong. For some of us, that's a phrase we need in our vocabulary. Well, you know what? I'm, I'm pretty sure of this, but I could be wrong. I'm pretty set on this, but I could be wrong. Because all of us, I, I just believe that all of us, when we get to the other side of glory, when we stand before God, we're going to be like, oh, my bad. <laughs> I was wrong on that one. We've got to be okay with that. It doesn't mean that you don't pursue truth. It doesn't mean that you fight hard. You don't fight hard to find what truth is. But in some areas, you've got to go, hmm, I could be wrong. And I'm going to be okay with that. Be okay with that. Number three, you've got to make sure Scripture is a part of your process. Make sure Scripture is a part of your process. There are so many people right now who are walking through deconstruction, and Scripture is not a part of your process. Let me just say about that, if you're trying to, trying to build something, you're trying to remodel something, and you don't have blueprints or you don't have something to guide you, good luck. The same is true in our faith. Scripture is the blueprint. It's what helps us go, okay, what, what, what does the Bible say about this? What does God's word say about this? Not what does man say, not as what, what does my upbringing say, not as what do I want to believe about, what does God say about this? Scripture has to be a part of your process. Why? Because it will speak to all the areas that you're dealing with. Like those five areas and whatever, whatever area you might be walking through that you're like, oh, I'm kind of wrestling with some things. Man, I, I really experienced some church hurt. This will speak to you. I'm really going through a painful experience. This will speak to you. Man, I, I was taught this at some point, and it feels like it might be right or it might be wrong. This will speak to you. This is your guide. If you walk through deconstruction without scripture, you will end up in a very, very dark place. I promise you. I'm watching it. I've got friends who have deconstructed their faith completely. They didn't use scripture at all. They didn't remember the foundations. They didn't allow for gray, none of that stuff. And now, although publicly they would be like, oh, we're great, we're great. I'm finally free and all that, they're in a very dark place. They're hurting. If you don't have scripture as your guide, you won't ever find truth to the issue that you're dealing with. Let scripture be your guide. Number four, resolve to find clarity in who Jesus is. Resolve to find clarity in who Jesus is. Don't go through this process because it's a fad or because it's cool or because you're wrestling one, one particular thing or whatever. But go through this process of reevaluating and remodeling your faith because you want clarity on who Jesus is. This should be the goal. And all of us, if we're followers of Jesus, we'd say, man, the goal would be to have clarity in who Jesus is. Like no matter where I'm at my faith, like the goal would be to find clarity in who Jesus is. That should be the goal. But unfortunately, that's not how most Christians live their lives. 
Uh, John Mark Comer, who wrote a book called Live No Lies, we just did a series that, that was based uh, partly on, on the book that he wrote. He said this, he said, the average person spends 2,800 hours a year consuming digital content. 2,800 hours, that's a lot of hours consuming digital content. And out of that 2,800 hours, 153 hours is Christ-based. Out of 2,800 hours, 153 is Christ-based. Is it any wonder we don't have clarity in who Jesus is when the majority of what we're consuming is of the world? Like, are we really shocked that we don't have clarity in who Christ is if the majority of what we're consuming is not Christ-based? The world will confuse you. Resolve to find clarity in who Jesus is. Probably the most challenging time that I've ever walked through was when I began to reevaluate and remodel my faith in 2008. I had experienced hurt from some church leaders. I had experienced hurt from some friends, a friend of mine who was trying to get me fired and was making false accusations against me. And, I, and even though everything I cleared up, it like messed with me. I wasn't that great of a husband or great of a father. Like, oh, I wasn't a father at all, actually. I wasn't that great of a husband. Like, and I was, I, honestly, I was, in a, I was in a tough spot. I was in a really hard place and I just wanted to quit. I started looking at other jobs and thinking, man, I just, I want to be out of ministry for a while. I thought, okay, I'm not going to completely leave the church, but I'll probably leave the church for a few months at least. Like I'll, I'm going to give myself a break, give myself a little breather. And as I walked through that, that process, as I began to just wrestle with, okay, what am I actually dealing with? I had to go back to these four tips. Okay, what's the essentials? Because some things I was upset about in the church that I began to realize they were not Essentials, okay? So now how do I have gray? How do I allow for gray? How do I be okay with like, my leader believes this, but I believe this, and the Bible doesn't speak to either one? How do, how do I walk through that? How do I walk through, you know, making sure that, that scripture is a part of my process? Like I had to lean into God's word more during that time than probably any other time in my life. And I just needed clarity. Like, Jesus, who are you? What have you called me to do? And all of that. And I kept going back to this, this one passage. And it's a passage that I've read, I don't know, probably hundreds of times that I've taught on before and all of that. But it just, just came alive during the season. If you've ever been, like, studying God's word for any season of, of life, then, like, you can read it. And it's like, oh, okay. And then there's another time you go and you read it and you're like, whoa. This is one of those whoa moments. James chapter 1, verse 2, it says, Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds. I hate that. Like, really? Consider it pure joy when you face trials? That sounds crazy. Like, I don't, I'm not like, woo, yeah, another trial. Let's do this. Sounds amazing. Why would you do that? Verse 2, or verse 3. Because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. Why do you consider it pure joy when you go through various trials, various trials, uh, painful experiences, unbiblical teaching, church hurt? And what else? What, what else could we go through, right? What are the trials that we walk through? Why do you consider it pure joy? Because it brings about perseverance. And perseverance will allow you to be complete, lacking in nothing in your faith. 
So that verse became alive to me. And I'll go, okay, God, let me press in on the essentials. God, let me press in on what you've called me to do. Let me press in on finding clarity about who Jesus is and all of that. And walking out the other side of that time in my life, even though it was really, really hard, I came so close to quitting ministry and to walking away from some things. And, and all, even though I came really, really close on the other side, man, I love the church more than ever. Like you can't get me to work in another job. Like I love ministry, even with people asking for prayer on how to kill me. Like even when some of the meanest things have been said by people in our own congregation, I love what I get to do. I deeply love people, even when all the messiness and the heartache and the brokenness and all, and I love people more than I did in 2008. I love my wife more. I love the calling that I have. Most importantly, I love Jesus more. I had to walk through this process of reevaluating and remodeling my faith. Some of you are there, and it can feel scary. You can feel very alone. Know that we'll walk with you as a church. This whole series, man, is just to kind of start the conversation with some of you. Say, hey, we're here. We're here. Don't walk it alone. We'll walk with you through every question. In fact, uh, at uh, week four of this series, we're going to do a Q&A. And so we're going to allow you just through social media and some other things, we're going to allow you to ask questions, any question that you want to ask. And we're just going to try to wrestle through some of those questions up here. Because we want you to find clarity. We want you to, to find security in your faith. Because when you have security in your faith, you know the God of ages. You know the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. You know the God who is faithful through it all. And when you know him, then you step into the mess of the world and go, okay, I'm good. Because I know him. I know my relationship with him. I'm good here no matter what happens here. Now, God, you've called me to do something here. Let me be a light in the midst of it. And so we're going to walk through this process together. And I'm praying for you. Man, as I've been writing these messages, man, there's so many people that have come to my heart, my mind, I've been praying for you. I'm praying for your friends and your loved ones. You're going to send these messages too. But I just believe firmly that God's going to move in your life. If we follow these four tips, we really pursue him and the clarity of Jesus. We pursue that scripture. We allow for some gray and we get right on the essentials. And no matter what your reevaluation and your remodeling process looks like, you'll come out stronger in your faith and in your love for people on the other side. Let's pray. Father, we come before you and I thank you for your word. I thank you for so many biblical heroes, God, that walk through deconstruction, that walk through this process of reevaluating and remodeling their faith so we can look at them and go, man, okay, and my, my journey right now feels a little bit more normal, and that's okay. I pray, Father, for each one of us that you would tell us what we're to do next, like what our next steps are, God, and, and how we're to, to walk through this process with these tips. And, and next week as we look at reconstruction and how do we do that in a healthy way, that, God, you would help us to walk through this journey, not in the way that the world tells us to, but in the way that your word tells us to. And, God, we know that this whole process starts with giving our lives over to you. If we're being real honest, there's some of us that are, they came into this place today or we're listening in the car right now. We're at the gym listening on this via podcast and, and God's been speaking to us. Saying, do you trust me? Asking us, will we come home? And what does that mean? It means simply that we recognize that, man, we're all sinners. We've fallen short of God's perfect standard. 
But God loved us so much that he didn't want to be separated from us because of that sin. So he sent his son, Jesus, to die on the cross to pay the penalty that we deserve to pay so we could be made right with God, so that we can come home. So if that's you, with your head bowed and eyes closed, if you'd say, man, that's me, and that's where I'm at right now, and I just want to come home, and I, I want to place my faith in Jesus, or I want to recommit my life to Jesus, and, and here's the deal, you're still going to have doubts, you're still going to have questions, but this is just you starting the process, or restarting the process. If that's you, with every head bowed and eyes closed, if you want to come home today, just raise your hand. I want to know who I'm praying for. Amen. Amen. Father, thank you for each one of these individuals. God, I thank you for those who are watching at home. If you're watching a home text, the word follow to the number on the screen. I just want to say, man, I'm so proud of you for raising your hand or for acknowledging where you're at. And just saying, God, I want to come home today. God sees you. He knows you. He loves you. And he's going to walk with you in the midst of this, and we will as well as a church. For all of us, God, tell us what we're to do next. And I pray, Father, that we would come out stronger on, the, stronger on the other side. As we reevaluate and remodel our faith, Father, that it would strengthen our love for you. It would strengthen our knowledge for you. It would strengthen our love for others. It would strengthen our calling and purpose to be a light in the midst of the darkness. God, thank you. It's in Jesus' name.